What is up, everybody? Alex back with another Hidden Falls Media Experience. I've got Dr. Brian Holly with me today, but he just likes to go by Brian. So we're going to hop right in. This guy has a repertoire list the size of anybody else that we could possibly find. It's incredible, super passionate human being, super filled with energy. And this podcast is going to be straight, just all value for you. So please, if you're driving, pull over, take notes. If you're on the treadmill, out walking the dog, whatever, this is something you really are going to want to pay attention to and come back to multiple times because it's just going to be amazing. So Dr. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Good. That sounds like a hell of a guy you're talking about. I'd like to meet him someday. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> it's all good, man. So I want to hop right into it. We are, uh, you know, we're the way I met you was through Arate. It's where I've met a lot of the guests that have been on the show already. We have quite a few that haven't been on or not a part of Arate. Um, but I kind of want to hear your, I want to hear the origin story. How do you go from becoming a chiropractic doctor and switching and doing a total 180 into the digital space? How, like, what's that origin story look like? How did we get to where we're at today? Well, I failed my way to the top, <laughs> to, begin <laughs> with, to be honest. I mean, you know, so no, I started out, um, well, the, the origin really, if you really want to know, we were, let's go, uh, let's do I, it. I won't go back to the stone age because I am older, <laughs> but it, we were, I met my wife in the eighth grade and we ended up having a baby in our ninth grade of high school. I had to drop wow. out. So my dad was a police sergeant and he said, boy, you know, you got you, you, you made your bed. You got to go to work digging ditches. So that's what I did. I went digging ditches <laughs> in, in Southern Texas, uh, putting the irrigation system, railroad ties. And we were two kids uh, living on welfare in a 12 by 60 mobile home. And back then the roof was rubber. So we had to put tires on the roof to keep the wind from flapping. It. Whoa. So we were on, we we're on welfare. We were trying two kids with a kid trying to survive. And Mr. And Mrs. George Bush senior had a, had a restart program and they picked us uh, to kind of get off welfare and to make something of ourselves. So uh, I met Barb, Barbara, and I got, uh, she, they sponsored my GED. And then they told me I could choose between healthcare, you know, whatever, you know, different professions. So I chose a nurse assistant and I made the national cover of a nurse assistant magazine. This is way back when, you know? Yeah. And so then from then on, I got work at, got to working at hospitals and started progressing my education. I worked during the day and I went to school at night and I was younger, so I didn't need to sleep then. Not like now <laughs> I need, you know, um, made it through, went to chiropractic actually I went to medical school and I got burnt out because I was working ER and mm -hmm. going to medical school and it for some reason um it just wasn't me my path it was all yeah. it was all pharmaceutical all drugs it was all condition based if you have this symptom you take this drug well let's cure the, what was causing the symptom so right. one of my buddies said you ought to go to chiropractic school I said they're quacks I don't want to do that and he said well you know why don't you just volunteer at an office one day so we did and it was a scoliosis one uh they specialized and it was kind of cool so i ended up following that path went to chiropractic school went out had seven clinics going and at the era of the time it was decompression therapy for herniated discs basically the disc will go down it'll mush out to the side hitting the nerve well they put you on the table and they make you taller they pull apart it's like a traction and it helps with the disc. So we got one in our clinic and it really took off. So we ended up getting 
seven clinics and we were at one time the second biggest decompression in the US. Wow. And the table manufacturers said, hey, we want you to help rep our tables. Well, they were 100,000 plus. So they had me, I had doctors in my clinic, so I flew monthly across the nation doing shows and seminars in Vegas, talking to CEOs of hospitals and, and everything else. And one of the things that I noticed talking with the plethora of professionals was they were all looking for, I'm going to say 80% were looking for this magic bullet thing that would turn the revenue around, that would help bring patients in. Um, the other 20 were looking just for a, a piece that they could add to their puzzle already. But the 80% that I found, I actually had to coach them afterwards and say, you know, it, it, it's not the device or the technique that's going to help the people. It's what's inside of you. It's what's inside of your practice. It's going to be the flow. If you don't have any of that, then it's not going to work. Then they started asking once we got them going, I mean, we were selling, you know, 20, 30 a month of these things, you know, and after five years of doing it, they were coming to me, well, how are you doing the marketing? How are you getting the patients in? How are you letting the world, you know, the word out? Well, back then, before the internet, uh, if you could imagine that, we actually had the newspaper and it was newspaper, billboard and TV was the, the, the big thing. But back then it was, you would take, I remember distinctly, I would design ads for newspaper for these guys and I'd negotiate contracts with their papers. And I'd say, we want the upper right hand corner of the first page. We want it outlined in pink and boom, this is what we want. Or on a magazine, we want it where the staples are. You know, we want yeah. these different things. And that, that was direct call to action uh, marketing and it worked then. But the thing that came about with the internet, what I love is I can't retarget a person that opens up a newspaper. Yeah. You know, I can't create a lookalike audience. So I started diving into that stuff pretty heavy. And then next thing you know, I had people just ask me to do my marketing. And so that's kind of how it went from the medical into the marketing, to be honest. Cool. You know, there's a lot of similarities. And one of the points that you brought up, there's two. The fact that a lot of marketing is based on systems and understanding where the attention's moving with the systems. So that's the first point. The second point that you brought up though is that people were coming to you thinking that if I just add better marketing to my process, it's really going to elevate my practice. Or if I add this new feature into the business, it's really going to elevate. And we just did a podcast yesterday that's going to be released soon uh, with Callie Keen, who took a uh, the idea of a fidget, he created the world's most expensive fidget spinner. Right. It was, it was $700. Okay. And he sold out of them. Okay. But it was the idea that he didn't create something new. He just took a niche market and kind of went forward with it and really dove into that niche market. And it really sounds like that's really what you're talking about with this as well, is that there's a commonality of, I didn't really add anything new to my market. I just really went deeper with it and really started to get my customers on board with what was actually happening. I built the experience for them and it wasn't, it wasn't the table. It was what it was going to do for me long term. It was what was going to separate me or was going to niche me down into a different market, different than the guy next to me. And that's really kind of what I picked up on with that. So I would, I would love to kind of get your thoughts on what like what really is a standout point for business because we see marketing 
be thrown at businesses and that's their idea of it's going to solve all my problems when in reality it really doesn't. So I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on when you're walking through a business and analyzing what, where am I going to invest my money? What am I going to do next to move it forward? Where does that kind of fall in line for you? What other check boxes should a lot of people think about first before we move into, we need to spend money in more ads to get new clients or to get more clients? There's a lot of layers to that onion there. So let's try to take one at a time on this. Um, yeah, first of all, the basic of all marketing that you got to understand that, that I have understood is I'm not going to the hardware store to, dr to buy a drill bit. I'm going to the hardware store to buy a hole, right? Mm -hmm. The drill bit is the tool to get the hole. So whenever I market or I look at a business and advise them on marketing, I got to see, are they, are they advertising the drill bit, which I got to be honest, 80% do, or are they advertising the hole? The customer wants the hole. They could give a crap about the drill bit. They right. want the hole. So if you can switch that marketing mentality, you're going to get a lot more people coming to you because you're, you're solving a problem for them. You're not selling them a, a device. We also used to do private seminars where we would teach that not all selling is bad. You know, I mean, True. when you think of selling, the first thing that part pops up in your head is, you know, car salesman or insurance, you know, the, the door to door, you know, yeah. I side note, I used to go door to door. Uh, when we dropped out of high school, I used to sell Kirby vacuums and the NSA water filters door to door. So that, that I, I was right there with you, but I was the guy asking, I knocked on your door and asked to see your energy bill to see if I could switch you over from dinosaur bones over to uh, green energy. Right, you know, so, so you know I'm what I'm talking to, about. I'm used to getting the 998 doors slammed in my face for the two that will answer and say, yeah, I would love to show you my energy bill so you could possibly save me money. <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got horror, we'll have to talk about horror stories on the side <laughs> of that stuff. But a lot of people, they would, if you, you can tell the intent of what someone is trying to sell you. And I use sell in a loose term because we're trying to sell ourselves on our spouses every day, not the divorces. Mm. We're selling ourselves on our friends. You know, we're good people. You know, we're always projecting outward. That's what I call selling, not trying to exchange. So if you sell with positive intent, like the, the oncology doctor that needs you to do chemotherapy or take this drug to help you with this, his intent is to actually help you. He's selling the whole. Sure. That is good. When I would train the doctors to sell the patient on a decompression program to actually avoid getting pins and plates and screws for, for a laminectomy and all that, you know, try the decompression first. That is different. Just like whenever someone's selling, I don't care what their product is, a widget, a gadget, a gadget, if they sell with the intent to help the customer first, that energy is going to be portrayed and they're going to pick up on it because there used to be a saying, the healing begins when the white coat enters the room in a, in a, in a clinic, right? So, yeah. and that's the energy. It really is. We're energy beings. So if you're trying to get someone to come into your practice or trying to buy your product or your service, they will feel that intent ever, ever before you speak a word, mm. especially if you're face to face. And that is the key. So I think the marketing has switched now where we're starting to realize some of that, that some of the old flash in the pan thing doesn't yeah. work. And as Frank Kern said, let's, let's do the old, uh, actually help somebody before you try to sell them something, yeah. you know? So that's why there's a lot of content out there. You get goodwill branding, a lot mm -hmm. of goodwill stuff that you can put out there to help the people. And that's where I, when I look at a client for their marketing, I always advise them use all the social media, the LinkedIn, the YouTube channel, provide education, especially higher end products. 
you're going to want to educate first on how it will help them and actually help them. Right. Then, then they'll be coming to you. There's a saying that you can be the tugboat that leaves the harbor and goes and looks for ships, or you can be the lighthouse and draw the ships to you. 100%. I prefer to be the lighthouse and draw them to me. And I think the only way that I know how to do that is by doing goodwill and service and helping them first. Then they'll because come intent to matters and people yeah. pick up on intent right away. It's, 100%. As, as human beings, we, we scan, we're hardwired into our limbic system to scan for threats. So we are phenomenally, exceptionally good at identifying energy and identifying triggers or yeah. you know, defense mechanisms that are coming in from people that they make the hair stand on the back of your neck a little bit. You get that just slightly off feeling about them. And it's because the intent's not there. That energy is not lining up with what you are perceiving this reality to be in front of you. You get the heebie-jeebies from some of the people. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, thank you, yeah. but no thank you. Right. It, and some of the things, too, a lot of the doctors and even the, the business people that we consulted with, um, they, they had the good intent. They had that, but it was their, when you meet them in person, they didn't know how to deliver. They didn't know how mm. to confront, you know, control and confront. And you got to lead some of the people. So, like, whenever they would do a number, they say, well, what would it cost to work with you? Well, it's X amount. Problem is a lot of them would look down to the left while it's, you know, X amount, or they'd be tapping their fingers or tapping their toes. They're nervous. They get the little ticks and they're subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it. Well, subconsciously that will portray to the customer that will trigger a response. Like you said, in the limbic system, like, Hey, something's not right here. Even though it is good intent, their body manifestations may be otherwise. So we did private, we, we'd fly into the businesses and we would drill the doctors, the staff, even CEOs of companies uh, on how to confront, how to, how to lead a customer in the right way to mm -hmm. make an informed decision. And, you know, there's a, we'd role play, you know, we'd, we'd sit them down in the chair in front of us and, and they would make us an offer and we would get in their face and say, I think you're trying to rip me off, you know, and see the reaction. You know, we, we would deliver the worst case scenario. Right. to get the reactions out of the way. Then after doing that for, you know, a few hours and then doing drills, they would write back the next month and say, man, my, my sales closure rate went through the roof. People are loving what we're doing. We're getting the message out. I think a lot of it is intent and mind and mindset uh, is the key behind a lot of the marketing that's out there. And a lot of people miss that mark. Like we said in the beginning, they think if I put an ad or something on Facebook, the world's going to be a better path for my story. It's like, no, not necessarily. How do you approach active listening? Define active listening. So if I'm coming into one of the things that I've noticed a lot, because we work with business owners of all shapes and sizes across the United States, and now we're even starting to push a little bit globally. And one of the issues that we've come across a lot is when I'm sitting across the table with you and we're trying to create a deal that's beneficial for both parties, there's almost this attitude of I'm trying to win the conversation right? Instead of it being a collaborative effort and trying to use skills like mirroring, trying to use skills that are based around the idea of making somebody else comfortable when you're listening, acknowledge that they're coming into your zone and being kind of respectful and conscious of that energy exchange that's happening. So with active listening, kind of how do you approach that or what's some tips and advice you can give people that would possibly elevate that experience for them to be more consciously aware of the person on the other end that's receiving the message and how you're portraying that to them. Isn't that the dance, the dance of all sales? Dance. 
knowing how to knowing how to do that. It's a not a script. It's an ebb and flow. So when you're talking with somebody, if they got good eye engagement and they're leaning at the edge of the chair, like the old cliche, that you know they're interested, right? Mm -hmm. If they're leaning back and they're looking up to the right, they're thinking about your offer. It also goes into personality identification. If you're an alpha personality, you're a driver. You're 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 an analytical person. All these different things. You're you're you know different types of personalities is going to portray into the reactions you're going to be getting. So if you're a driver talking to an expressive person or you're an analytical person talking to an expressive or an amiable, you got to make that bridge somehow because you, you may be telling a story. Just say you're an expressive person. You're telling a story, trying to get them engaged, but they're an analytical person. They're going to be leaning back. They're going to be analyzing things. And you're thinking, oh man, they're not buying what I'm saying, but reality, okay. it's just their personality. It's a dance. So before you get into the dance, you got to know some of the steps. You got to know the personalities of who your client is, uh, especially once you meet them and talk with them. Um, you know, you're a scientific guy. And, you know, I think you stood, you, you personally, Alex, I think you're scientifically, you're scientifically minded, but you also got one foot into the other metaphysical stuff, which is kind of cool. You're yeah. walking both worlds. Um, so whenever someone talks to you, they're going to want to try to hit on both of those areas and, connect with you emotionally. But if someone comes in with just a driver personality, like you got to do this, this is what you need. You're, you're going to kind of back off a little bit, you know? Now, if you get two alphas doing that, then it's going to be right. penis measuring, right? You know, you can't do that. So it's, it's a dance. I would say if you're going to do that, first identify who the person is, what type of personality they are and what their needs are. Then you already know, hopefully, which is where a lot of young entrepreneurs don't know, you, you really need to know who you are, who your core value and what you are, so you can approach things. And then look for the body language, listen to the tones, look, are they breathing heavy, are they breathing soft? Look for the eye gaze, look for the little twirling of the hair, and, and you know, are they leaning forward, are they leaning backward, you know, are they comfortable? If they're confident, they're going to take up space, they're going to be leaning yeah. back, they're going to be taking space. If they're shy, they're going to be kind of hands on the lap and you know, everything else. You can read all those things. So when you're actively engaging, actively talking to someone, subconsciously you need to be picking up on those things. And I think that is a key to a good presentation and a good salesman too. That is so good. Uh, everybody just needs to stop, rewind those last two to three minutes. Cause I feel like that's a skill, especially I watch people in my age group that are under 30. It's a lost art form to be able to sit down and have a conversation without expectation other than I want this to be a positive conversation or to be a constructive conversation in some way. And I feel like that that's such a lost art form and it's a such a big separator. And it, I, with being a little bit kind of uh, t like tooting my own horn a little bit, I feel like it's what's driven me a little bit further towards success is that I feel like I can communicate better with age groups that are outside of my own better than I can with people inside my own age group for that reason of being able to kind of just sit down and have that conversation more than it being a, uh, a dick measuring contest for lack of better words and just putting it out there and saying mine's bigger than better and everything else of, Hey, how can I serve? How can I help? And leading with that servant mentality into the conversation yeah. first and saying, look, if this isn't going to be amicably beneficial for both of us, that's okay. At any point in time, we can stop the conversation around sales and it's not that big of a deal. And giving them that permission is really, I found beneficial and really allows for that energy exchange, like you were saying, to be more of a dance, more than it being, I'm shouting at you, 
waiting for you to respond. And while I'm waiting for you to respond, I'm coming up with my argument inside my head already to count, to combat where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. it, it is. And you know, that, that is one part of the equation. Uh, the other thing that we used to do, we, we had a course that we would teach. It's called service versus service excellence. Mm. And, you know, back in the older, older days, uh, when gas was, you know, a quarter gallon, we would pull up to the gas station and the little thing was out uh, and it would go ding, ding. And the service guy would come out and he would actually wipe our windshield and he would pump our gas for us and he'd check our oil and everything else. That's service excellence. You know, you don't see that anymore. I think service excellence is also goes in with our lifestyles, you know. Um, like Andy Frisella with, with First Form and, and the Arte, he says, you know, the guys, when you go pee, you lift up the lid. Do you, do you wipe down the, the, the pee droplets, he says. You know, yeah. because that's how I can tell if you're going to be the next dominant CEO because you're willing to do that. You clean up after yourself. And, you know, so unfortunately, side note, my wife heard that little excerpt from him. Now, damn it, I got to wipe pee droplets <laughs> every time. But nevertheless, it, it's that. And it's um, service versus service excellence. It's, it's holding the door open for your wife. You know, I'm you know, or your spouse, you know, whether it be going to the restaurant or going out to the car, opening the door, shaking someone's hand firm, looking them in the eye and let your yay be your nay. If you give someone your word, damn it, stick with it, you know, and be honest. That's the true thing that I have found over the years too, with service versus service excellence. Not everybody knows everything. Hell, I don't know everything there is on marketing or clinical stuff. If someone asks me a question, I'll be honest, I'll, you know, <laughs> I have no idea, but I'll find out, Yeah, you know, give me 24 hours. That if you come across some, someone and you're trying to pitch them on something and you know everything or you think you do, or you're trying to snow them, they're going to see right through that. And I think it's authenticity and ethics is, goes a long ways along with service versus service excellence too. It's a lost art. I love it. I absolutely love this conversation, man. I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, Last question I have for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Where we have come into a totally unexpected era of business, of life, of communication style, middle of 2020, end of 2020, now as we're moving into that part of the year. Where what trends are you seeing inside of your area? What are you what are really those things over the last, you know, maybe three to six months that really caught your attention that you were like, ooh, this could be a total game changer? Or, man, I'm really seeing trends start to move in this direction. What does that look like for you? Toilet paper and zombie apocalypse. It's happening, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, where it's going, baby. I, see, <laughs> I see a lot of people. And actually, I didn't talk to you about this before, but I'm developing a, another course, and I'll tell you about it uh, in a minute. But I see a lot of people, they're the mom and pops, and they've been at this job and all of a sudden with the COVID and everything else that's happening, they got laid off and they can look on the internet. They say, okay, other people are doing this. Great. I'm going to make some soaps and I'm going to open a Shopify store and I'm going to sell soaps and I'm not going to go back to work. Well, it's a little different than that. I see that gap from point A to point C, they're missing the B on how to mm. get there. And there's a lot of people out there right now that are in A they don't have a savings, they're living paycheck to paycheck, or they're living on um, unemployment, or they don't have anything, and they're wanting to get to C, but they're missing that B step. So a couple things as entrepreneurs, um, as marketers, and as business consultants, 
we need to not provide them the C, we need to provide them the B on how to get there, the best way for them, if that makes sense. So, right. you know, it, I was on consulting. I have a knack for going into a business and looking, well, do you need marketing? Then this is what you need. If it's a high-end ticket, let's educate. Let's do some YouTube educational videos and don't put a call to action in them. Just give it away. Give some of your best stuff away. Help them. And then what you do is you set up a Facebook retargeting to target everybody that watched the videos with a call to action or a download. Right. So some may need that. Some may not need marketing help. Some may need a staff help. They may have the staff in the wrong position in their business. Um, you know, they may have a analytical, a bean counter up front at their front desk and you know, the driver is stuck in the back doing payroll that you need to switch your hats around to get things going. It's not a marketing thing. You may also have, uh, I've gone into so many businesses and what, what's the saying? First impression, right? You get eye deaf, nose deaf, ear deaf after being in the business for so long. So you go in the front lobby and I would take notes of what I seen. Did you see bugs in the light filters? Do you see cobwebs? If you go in the back, is there odors? Is there smells? Is it too close to the kitchen? That's, did, did, did Tony and Guido just do their garlic pizza and it's portraying all out into the business now, you know? So I always advise the businesses to take their front staff, their back staff and everything else and swap them around for an hour and have them take notes, then make changes because mm. the back staff has gotten ear deaf, uh, nose deaf and eye deaf to what's happening. Put them in the front, you know? So there's a lot of things like that that I see can change when people need to go from A to C that if they have a business that they're missing that they can implement right away and it's not going to cost them a dime. Um, I think a lot of people identify with who they are as a title and as a profession. So I'm a physician. So just say if I lost my, my, my license, right? Well, a lot of them would just be like, what do I do now? Well, I'm not a physician. A physician is what I do or I did, you know, I'm retired from it now, but I'm something else. So a lot of people think, well, I'm an engineer, I'm a mechanic, you know, no, you're a person doing that job. So if they lost their job, they're lost. They don't know who they are. And that's because we got trained to be in this rut nine to five over and over and over again. I think a lot of the people now, they need to find out who the hell they are. They need to look at different pillars in their life. You know, one of the best ways that I found doing, and this is what I'm creating a course on is you actually sit down and you write basically like, What's your accountability? What's your character? What's your health? You know, what all this is. And you create a life book about yourself. And then you identify and go on because you, you, this is on sandy, shifty grounds. Otherwise, you can't help other people or go to step C unless you know who you are. So I think the people need that in part A to get to part B to get to part C. I think marketing is just a byproduct of all that other stuff that needs to be in place first. That is so good. Brian, I've absolutely loved this call, man. Is there any last moment of wisdom that you want to impart on the audience? And then we'll wrap it up and we'll tell people where to find you. Yeah. Um, follow your heart, to be honest. Yeah. Follow your heart and passion. And if you don't know what that is, you need to shut out the noise and get quiet for a little bit and it'll come to you. When you do find that things just step into the flow and it comes easy. Things just start happening. The right people show up, the right emails come, the right phone call rings, the a check in the mail from, you know, a refund, who knows things will happen. 
And once you start getting into that, um, it, it, you, you, you realize that you don't have to market as much. You don't have to put like marketing is going to save me. No, you're going to save yourself. Marketing is yeah. just another tool that, that'll help that. So I, I would say, first of all, for the masses out there, figure out who you are, discover yourself and your passions. And then try, if you have to work a job, work your job and, and work on your passions on the side, your side hustles until they can replace your job. Jim Rohn said that for years, and I'm a believer in that. I so that's Jim what Rohn, I would do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, that, that would be my advice. That is so good. Um, to kind of bring it back with him, he has this, and I'm going to butcher the shit out of this quote. He, he talks about the idea of regret and how that weighs on the soul and that, um, you know, the fear of taking an opportunity is truly only a feather on the soul where regret weighs tons on it. Yes. And, and I wrote an article that it just triggered and I don't want to get off on really left field, but I wrote an article for a spiritual magazine and I got a lot of replies about it. Um, you know, depend, I'm not going into beliefs or anything, but they, they say that when we were incarnated here, but when we came here, we came here with a certain talent or a certain gifts. Okay. Many religions speak about this. And our goal here is to express our, to find our gifts and then express them to the world to help other people. Hopefully you can help other people. It's a chain reaction. Then they'll find their gifts. Well, the problem is with fear and regret, if you don't explore, and our gifts are just outside that circle of comfort, yes. right? Yes. So if we don't go out there to get those gifts and we pass away, can you imagine being on your deathbed with the angels or whatever you believe around you saying, you know, we sent you here with the gifts. Only you could deliver the gifts and you let fear and everything else and other people shout you out where you can't go out and share those with the world. You're the only one that could have brought this to the world and people needed that at that. That would be the biggest regret of my life if I didn't, didn't uh, dig outside my circle of, of comfort and find my talents and present it to the world. I don't want that regret on my deathbed. Oh, that is so good. Brian, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful and so thankful. I know my audience got a ton of benefit and value out of this. Where can people find you? Where can they follow your information at for more? You can go to drbrianholly.com. That's where I put a lot of my stuff. It's Dr. D-R-B-R-Y-A-N-H-A-W-L-E-Y.com. Um, I'm going to start probably a podcast tour, a speaking tour. Well, I'd say a speaking tour. Let's, <laughs> let's see what next year brings. Um, and and I'm, I'm wanting to develop that course, like I was mentioning, about the eight pillars that you can actually do yourself. And I'm going to give it away, to be honest. Wow. I think it's going to help the masses. That'll take them to point C. That's the B they're missing. So that's the best way to do that. And you can also email me. You got my email, hollybryan at yahoo.com. Awesome. I'll drop all those links below for people. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian. It's been a pleasure, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. 